Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with David Matthews, um, one of the co-founders of Spark of Life Foundation, which I was looking on the website and seeing what you guys do. It's a really pretty comprehensive you know, grief program to help people go through different kinds of losses, whether it be death or other losses in their lives. And, uh, you know, you and your agent reached out about being on the show, and I was really fascinated by the story behind getting into something like that, because it's, it's intense work. You know, it's really, it's, it's heavy. So welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having us. And yes, it is intense. Uh, we just finished a grief retreat Sunday, got in at 2.30 Monday morning. And uh, it takes about a week to recover from doing uh, an intensive three and a half day retreat. So it's pretty intense. It's got to, right? I mean, how many, how many people are in these retreats? Well, anywhere from, I think five has been the least and 21 have been the most. We like to keep it around 16 in the uh, retreat uh, so that we can have some personal time with the people. We have another couple that always helps us. And there's usually uh, four of us that lead the retreat. Uh, for the very reason uh, a lot happens around the dinner table. <laughs> uh, so we eat all our meals together. We cook out sometimes if the weather's nice. And it was this weekend in Colorado. It was beautiful. And uh, the, the work is, is an incredibly fulfilling work, but it's also incredibly draining. Uh, but we wouldn't want to do anything else in the world. If you could have been with us this weekend, you would see exactly what we're talking about. It's an incredible experience. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's really powerful. Earlier on in my career, you know, I worked in hospice and, uh, you know, as a therapist, now I work with grief, not as directly, but it is, I mean, it's what a powerful emotion, but we'll get into that when we get to the discussion segment. I'm really interested in how you started, you know, the losses that, you know, you and your wife um, incurred and and how that inspired you to get doing this work. Can you share a little bit about your From the Ashes story for our listeners here? Well, I can. Uh, I went into ministry uh, at a young age because I was the savior of my family. You know, we all assume a role in our family system. And uh, my parents had a terrible marriage. My mother was an alcoholic. um, And it turned out great because after a terrible three or four year stretch, my mom and dad got back together. And they ended up the last 23 years of their life having an incredible marriage. Uh, but in the, in the bad years, it was old Dave here alone with mom who's drunk and uh, keeping her from driving the car, things like that. And anybody yeah. who's been raised in that environment will understand that. Yeah. And, uh, and my older brother and sister are great people. We're very close. I love them dearly. But they were gone most of that time away to college. So I, I just assumed the savior role and it was very frustrating for me. And then my, my, you know, I grew up, got married, had kids and I was in ministry. So I, it seemed like I had tattooed on my forehead. If you have a problem, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You've probably been there. And yep. Uh, yep. I don't know what it is. It's a curse or it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
I had so many people come by my office. Then I went to work in a Christian school uh, teaching Bible, and the kids started coming to me with alcohol and abuse problems. Uh, and they were good kids, you know, from good families. But, you know, good families are normal families who have a bunch of crap, if I may say that, just a bunch of crap in there. And they started coming with all these issues and problems. And in ministry, I was I was constantly doing funerals of people who had ex- extreme loss from suicide to murder to you name it. And uh, and in the high school, it didn't get much better. Uh, you know, it was still dealing with people and their problems. And then uh, my, my mom and dad really worked out their problems. Mom stopped drinking. And uh, that was good. But it showed me that people can recover. I mean, there's recovery out there. And uh, and then in 2007, our oldest son's firstborn died. Mm-hmm. And his name was Josiah, is Josiah. I believe he's in heaven. And that was the turning point for us uh, when we saw the pain of our daughter-in-law and our son and the whole family, the whole extended family from our daughter-in-law's parents who are dear friends of ours and our son and his pain and there's always a backstory and loss. There's always in our lives, there's backstories, all losses in context of other losses. And that's one thing we've learned doing, doing this grief work extensively since 2009, when we started spark of life, uh, there's backstories and everything's in context. I went back to school when I was 40 and I got a substance abuse counseling degree, uh, minoring in marriage and family therapy. And, Marriage and family therapy is systems theory, and systems theory is everything's connected to everything else. And boy, is that true. I mean, is that true? Yeah. It's not just the presenting loss that's the problem. It's it's other losses, other events in people's lives that really form how they respond to uh, terrible things in their lives. And why is it the thing that bugged me? I was always thinking through this stuff. Why do some people go through horrific losses and come out the other side and, and soar. We call it living forward, not existing forward. Why do some people ex- live forward and others might have the same exact loss and, and cease to live? Now, they might live, but they're not, they're not living forward. They're existing forward is what we call it. And I've been around those people, and I love them. And why do some uh, leave their boats? I call it they turn their anchors to sails. Uh, but some people never get the boat out of the dock. They never sail around the world. Some people sail around the world and lift up the anchors. And, you know, anchors can just be really helpful, but anchors can hold us down from living forward. And so when Josiah died, it was uh, my wife and I, Debbie, and she's actually not feeling well today or she'd be here, but I think it's from the come down of the retreat, to be honest with you. And she's just exhausted. And anyway, uh, we we decided to do something about uh, those who have experienced loss. And in our training and all the training I had experientially with uh, dealing with people with loss over the years and then reading books and researching and going to conferences and reading all we could, uh, we said, we knew the power of a three-day intensive. We knew the power there. We had seen it in other areas. We had done three-day intensives with an organization called Marriage Helper that is still running. We're still involved with them today. And three-day intensives can take a marriage in shambles and turn it around. If they get the right tools, if they get the right encouragement, obviously they have a lot of work to do after the three days. 
but we saw that three-day intensives can actually turn people around and give them hope where they had no hope. And so we put together a three-and-a-half-day, we, we believe three nights spending together uh, in an environment is so much better than two nights, and two nights is so much better than one. And we, we just through, ex, you know, experimenting with this, uh, we start on Thursday night. That's so people come to a retreat on Thursday. We have virtual retreats now because of COVID, but also in-person retreats. And they come on Thursday night and they, enter, you know, we feed them a great meal. And, and then they share their stories and the stories are horrific. They're just horrific. And it's like, who wants to be there, right? I don't, I, I don't want to be there on Thursday night. But by Sunday, things are different. There's frowns on Thursday. There's laughter on Sunday. And, and so we put together this retreat with a lot of help from a lot of people. It's, it, 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 it couldn't be just from this brain, let me tell you. It couldn't be just from this brain because it's too complicated, but it's very simple. It, you know, it's profound, but it's simple. Grievers need to know that there's hope. How do they, how do they get hope? Well, they get hope when people are there for them, when people walk beside them. The heroes of our story are our, uh, we've had 1,562 participants come to our retreats uh, since 2009 when we started. Uh, and we'd have had a lot more except for this blankety-blank COVID, right? <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's hurt so many people, as we know, from death to just lots of stories out there. But, you know, we're not going to let COVID beat us. There's too much pain out there. And so uh, the, the, the motivation was Josiah, but we don't do this to honor Josiah. We do this to help people, even though that was the spark of spark of life. And, and just being with people, seeing the despair on Thursday and having them end up on, 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 on Sunday with hope. And then they keep going with us. See, they, there's follow-up, there's emails, there's, uh, it, they're just incredible. And, and so that's our story from the ashes. Uh, yeah, you know, can you say more about the loss of Josiah or you talked about, you know, the alcoholic mother, how did you turn your anchors into sales? Like, did you have an intensive or did you have, you know, the faith or anything that you could really like lean on in those moments? I had one, one guy, I had one friend. I was, I was an out of it introvert uh, because of my environment, not because of my personality. I yeah. went outward to inward and we moved to a big city and uh, a big school in Houston, Texas from Southeast Texas and Beaumont. And I went from knowing everybody to knowing nothing. And about the time my parents' marriage blew up and my mom's really, really doing poorly. And, you know, I felt like I had it all on my back, even though that's not true. My brother and sister knew about it. But, no, I, I had a friend who walked beside me. And that's what we try to do with grievers. He, he walked beside me. He accepted me as I were, was. He was a Christian. He, he exemplified, uh, from my faith point of view, Jesus in the, in the flesh. Uh, loved me unconditionally. We became best friends. He's still my best friend to this day one of us will do each other's funeral. You know, mm. I don't think we can both do each other's funeral, but right. <laughs> that's we, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It is. He, he, um, he taught me that I was worth something by just accepting me. He didn't try to fix me. He didn't try to solve my problems. He walked beside me. And that message of uh, that, he really without intent taught me that, I, we don't have to fix anybody. 
but we need to, we need to help people find what's within them, the God-given thing that's within them not to quit. It's this attitude of not quitting. And I think my dad, looking back, taught me not to quit, you know, and I wanted to quit. This past weekend, we had 11 grievers. We had one lady who had lost three children at three different times in her life. She lost three of her four kids. Brutal. 51 years of age. If she's listening to this, she knows who who she is. She knows I'm talking about her, but we're friends now. But on Thursday night, she was, she was wasted. I mean, I mean, emotionally wasted telling her story. She could barely get through it, but our grievers, the, the ones we are privileged to work with have taught us that in the human spirit, there's something within us that does not want to quit. You know, we love the stories of Ben Hogan, who didn't quit. We love the story of Tiger Woods. You know, he went from villain to hero when he came back and won the Masters that year. Just a couple of years ago, uh, you might be a Tiger hater, but you've got to be a Tiger admirer that he didn't quit. Right. That, and so all of us have that within us. And, and in our story, Spark's not the hero. The hero are the participants, are the givers who give so that we can do this. They're the ones that support us. And we believe each one makes a difference. And uh, my story, I, I don't know what turned it around for me except my friend Weldon Howard. I, he turned it around, and he didn't try to be a hero. He didn't know he was my hero. And then there's other people that play the part. Just like in your life, there are other people that come along beside you and I don't even think they know what they're doing, you know, but they, they believe in you. I know my dad and mom believed in me in the last 20 years of their life. It was wonderful with, with our relationship. I, I knew in spite of their flaws, they believed in me. I have somebody believe in us and, and, and somebody that can give us a guide to help us to give us tools tools in order to use that are practical and that are real. So if I have the motivation, if I have the heart, and I have the head, the, the two working together can be very powerful. I need good tools, though. I need to get rid of the junk in my brain box, such as I can never be happy again. That's the number one thing. We, we have two things we see with grievers. There's something wrong with me, they think, and I can never be happy again. But why did they come to a retreat? Why did this lady come to a retreat on Friday, Thursday night in Colorado? And she didn't even know about us on Tuesday. She found us on the internet on Tuesday and watched one of my YouTube videos. And, and I, you know, I, uh, you've done YouTube videos, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. You ever frustrated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is anybody going to watch them? Right. And then it, it touched us one person. Yeah. yeah. One person. Yeah. And and we had about four there that were there because they they saw the videos, uh, one video or two videos, and I didn't even think they were that great, right? And and yet it, it hit a button with them that somebody is out there saying, "You're not done yet with this life," and there's a there's a way for you to to find hope, to live forward with purpose and meaning again, and yes, with joy again, and so. I guess that spirit that was put into me, I, I, you know, I'm a believer in God, by God through people. Uh, God works through people, people who are strugglers. And like we say at the retreat, everybody's screwed up. You know, I'm as screwed up as anybody. And if you're not my age and I'm 71 years old, if you're not my age, I've screwed up more than you have. <laughs> okay. And uh, if, if I can do this work, 
whatever it is, you know, I'm the grief guy. Well, others can do the work that they're, that they've got talents and gifts and experiences for. Yes. Yeah, so I'm hearing a really powerful cocktail there of, you know, perseverance. I'm hearing love and acceptance, mm-hmm. you know, and then also cognitive tools, right. Of actually getting a handle on things yeah. and knowing how to get through. It sounds like it really helped you to overcome that loss. And I can't, I mean, I'm feeling, you know, emotional thinking about your friend to really have someone there that could walk beside you and just love you, right. Accept you and love you as you are. Yeah. It changed everything in my life. And I've told him, I've told him that a hundred times, uh, it, and he's struggling. I mean, he's a struggler. We're all strugglers on this planet. And uh, this is a world of trouble, right? And it's a wonderful world. And then it's an ugly, ugly world. And we just see at our retreats, the power of group, the power of the group dynamic is incredible. Uh, and maybe we'll get into that later, you know, in another segment. Uh, and what happens at a retreat? Why, how do people turn their anchors to sails and, and find hope in the midst of despair? Yeah, I want to dig into that. Uh, let me come back from our commercial break. I do a lot of group work in my practice too, and I run my own retreats. And it's there's something about community, right? That sense of belonging and really getting that attention that I think you alluded to that many people just didn't get growing up or didn't get when they needed it at that right time. But to have it facilitated in a powerful way can be truly life changing. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move into commercial break. When we come back, I actually want to start with this question of why do some people succeed while others fail? Because that is a question that I know has perplexed psychology for a long time. I'd imagine it's perplexed, um, you know, ministry for a long time. I mean, that's one of the big ones, right? It's like, what are those key variables? Um, For those of you listening, uh, stay tuned. And on the other side of the break, we'll dive more into, you know, how to be more successful and what makes people succeed and other people fail. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, .teachable.com. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with David Matthews, and we're talking about grief um, and his journey and his history and the retreats that they run through the uh, Spark of Life Foundation. And the topic came up, which is something that I'm endlessly fascinated in and want to love to hear as many opinions as possible of, you know, how people can have the same kind of loss, right? And some people are able to, in the way that you say it, turn their anchors into sales and move forward, while others are just completely devastated by it. And I'm curious from your experience, either, you know, running these programs or as a minister or even just in your life, what do you think some of those deciding factors are? How do people move on and not just, yeah, you said not just like survive, but thrive, right? Find real strength from things that are horrendous, you know, that are awful. Yeah. In fact, they can, they can soar. We can call it, we call it soaring, living forward, uh, becoming stronger and better than before. You're not happy the loss happened, mm-hmm. but it depends on how you respond to it. It is a great question. Why do some soar and some stay stuck? And we know people in both categories. Uh, and, and the thing is, if you get stuck in your grief, everybody should grieve because grieving is natural. It's normal. It, it's really healthy for us. Uh, but being stuck in grief, what happens is it debilitates your life. It causes harm to other relationships in life that are important to you. And it, we call it piling loss upon loss upon loss. And you have the, the primary loss or losses. And then you have all the other stuff that can come if, if we grieve in an unhealthy way. And you and I were talking during the break, and I agree with you. I think the, the one thing for me that turned my life around was I was not alone anymore. I had somebody there as a guide to help, uh, not as the Savior. I, my friend was not the Savior. I I tried to save people and I couldn't, and I'm glad I failed because what am I going to say? I mean, how can a screwed up person save somebody else screwed up, right? I can't do that, but I can help Mm -hmm. somebody. I can influence them. Mm -hmm. And when Weldon came along beside me to walk beside me, I I was not alone. And at our retreats, uh, there's one common thing that all grievers have. There's probably two or three, but one common thing is at least the ones we work with, it's the thinking something is wrong with me. So it's a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And the reason they think something is wrong with them is because of our society. <laughs> okay, And you, we mentioned this at break. We do a sucky job of dealing with grief in Western culture, which let's just put it in the United States. We do a pretty poor job of it. We hide our feelings well. The average business uh, in, in, in North America gives three to four days bereavement leave if, if you lose a wife, a child, uh, a, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister. It's about three days, three days to deal with it. Yeah, that's nowhere near enough time. It can take no, years. Years. 
And so, no, you can't give them four years off and pay their salary. It's not that, but there's got to be more programs for businesses that are, that, that are effective in helping people get out of that pit of grief. And that's one thing Spark of Life wants to do is partner with businesses because we've got a formula that works and it's not a neat little formula, but it does address the, these issues that we're talking about. Grievers think something is wrong with them and their fellow, their friends, their family, sometimes their religious organizations say, if you just had more faith, you would feel better. Well, that's just BS, if I may say BS. <laughs> that's just BS, Mark, uh, because great faith people can have great grief. And, it's, and, and you know, if I go through a loss, and we did, and somebody sends me a card and they have a, a, a scripture that says, do not be afraid, put your trust in the Lord. Well, I might believe that scripture, but that doesn't help me at the time. Because it, it basically says there's something wrong with my faith, and then there's something yeah. wrong with me. And so the people we deal with have been told, well, it's been a year. Get over it. And somebody else, it's been a year, and they lost a child, and they're progressing nicely, but you're not. And so somebody tells you, well, well look at Joe over there. He's doing great. He had the same kind of loss. Well, Joe might help me over there. Right. But really, that says there's something wrong with me. There's inherently something defective in me. So I think this this thing of somebody coming along and accepting people where they are. And we mentioned emotions during the break and accepting your emotions. First retreat we ever had. By the way, we're not a religious retreat. We have had atheists, agnostics, Muslims, Jewish people, Christian people, people with no faith all come to the retreat. But faith is a backbone of us and with a lot of people that come. But most of the people that come to our retreats who are people of faith, at least half of them have given up their faith. I mean, really. I mean, when they finally get it out, because because of what we're talking about, like they didn't have permission to be real. Mm-hmm. And you go to your place of worship and somebody says, put a smile on your face. Right. Maybe somebody out there doesn't want to put a smile on their face. And, and so by, I, I think suddenly they, we get the message, if I'm not happy all the time, if I'm really stuck in this mess, then there's something flawed with me. And that leads to people giving up. If, if you think something's wrong with me, I'm not capable of having hope to live forward, then I might stay stuck. And the other thing that we talked about, which is related to this, is community. So the very first retreat we had, a young lady and her husband had lost a a baby 23 days old. Uh, For 22 days, that baby's fine and healthy and then dies, a crib death. They come to the retreat and they miss Thursday night because they couldn't get their their plane was late or something. And they come in Friday morning to the room we're meeting in. And uh, I'll never forget her words. She said, it, it, this is Spark of Life where we're meeting. I said, yes, you must be so-and-so and because we knew who they were. And she said, yes, I just want to say one thing. If this is a damn religious retreat, I'm out of here because I hate God. Yeah, said, that's a clear message. <laughs> yeah, pretty clear. Well, we just welcomed her, right? Mm-hmm. On Sunday of this retreat, when we were wrapping up and everybody's doing affirmations, because we always end with affirmations, everybody affirms one or two people, which is the greatest part of the retreat, really. Uh, she said, I want everybody to know I found love this weekend and I don't hate God anymore. She said, I, we're not really buds yet, but I'm getting there, right? Well, see, 
that was just beautiful. Our, our intent was not to get her to love God. Our intent was to love her, right, as, as we believe God loves me. You know, so we just loved her and accepted her. It was pretty simple, really. So when people don't feel alone, when they can change their belief system and, and the stuff in our brains, you know, there's good stuff and bad stuff. And one of the bad stuff about grief is you can never be happy again. If, if, uh, if this lady lost three children, uh, one was six, one was 23, one was, I think, 28, something like that. There's something about her. She came to the retreat. That means she's looking for something. She's looking for hope. And, and so at the retreat, we let her, and, and Thursday night and all day Friday, it was not good for her. I mean, she was not in a good spot. And I could tell you 100 stories, and I could tell you 1,500. And well, so anyway, she, she was completely in a bad spot. And then Saturday, she started to have some smiles. And then she got some tools. And it kind of leads to another thing I think is a key here of why some people can go from the ashes to, to you know, living forward with, with joy. They still have grief, right? You never get over tragic loss. Right, that hole's always there. The hole's always there. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it scabs over. And sometimes those, the scab comes off and sometimes it, it leaves scars. You're never going to be the same. Life's never going to be the same. But that doesn't mean life can't be uh, very good with the pain. And by the way, we're all going to have other losses. All right, so we need to learn what is, what's the key. And I, I think we're outlined some of the keys. And the other thing is uh, in systems theory, we call it um, – well, I would call it this incomplete, unfinished business. And so uh, we, we had a guy who came to retreat grieving the loss of his sister to suicide. They were in their 40s. He wasn't particularly close to her. I mean, they saw each other once or twice a year. He loved her. He, he grieved when she died by suicide. Uh, but it had been five years, and he didn't know why he was stuck. He found out about our retreat. He came to Alaska on the Kenai River, <laughs> pretty cool river, so we had this retreat there. We usually have two a summer there. And uh, he, we have everybody uh, do what we call a loss story. They have to write down their story of losses. And we help them do that. And I learned this uh, going to grad school about the power of your story. And really, it's a life story. Mm-hmm. And as he did his life story, he remembered some things in the past. And, and, and the thing he remembered was when he was in college, he got his girlfriend pregnant. Uh, he demanded she have an abortion. She didn't want an abortion. She thought she'd lose him if she didn't have one. So it's really an involved story, and it's, it's quite more complex than what I just said. But he forced her to have this abortion. Oh, yeah. And, and she, he drove her to the, the clinic. He paid for it, drove her back when it was over, when she could leave. Dropped her off at the dorm, never saw her again. And she tried to contact and tried to, you know, and he just abandoned her. Right, just pushed her out. Pushed her out because he, he was so full of guilt. Right, so it was too did, much. Yeah. yeah, he buried that. He buried that. So when his, when his sister uh, took her life by suicide, and you know this about suicide, it, the closer you are to somebody who takes their life, the more guilt you're likely to feel. Why didn't I call them? Why wouldn't I a better friend, a better brother, better father? All those feelings of guilt and regret come in by the busload, right? They just poured in. Well, he had that unresolved guilt from 25 years earlier. 
and he had pushed it so back in his uh, subconscious, unconscious almost. He hadn't remembered it, and it came out when he did that. And he said, I think I'm here because of that. <laughs> and so he worked yeah. on that loss. Yeah. He, had to, he had to apologize to the woman, not, not in person, but writing a letter of apology and completing the incomplete. Once he completed those incompletes, it helped him move forward. Now he had to work on his sister and if he had any regrets. And then you have the thing of resentments. That's a huge deal, too. So a, a couple comes to Alaska one year. Their 19-year-old daughter had taken her life by suicide. There's no explanation, no, you know, no mental illness, no drug use, uh, no depression, nothing they put a finger on. They still don't know. Uh, sometimes there are no explanations um, that make sense. And uh, I'll never forget this as we're talking at the beginning of their treat about being honest. Uh, you have to be honest. In any kind of recovery, you have to admit you have a problem, and then you mm-hmm. have to uh, be honest about, you know, your your garbage, you know, your crap. And she, and we're talking about resentments, and she said, so "I'll tell you one thing. I had mentioned when you lose a child, sometimes there is uh, often uh, they didn't do anything wrong. They could have been drunk while driving, no mm-hmm. seatbelt, uh, going 110 miles per hour." And they get killed in a car wreck and the parents won't say, admit they did anything wrong because you're just not supposed to do that. Right. They're supposed to be an innocent. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. And so we talked about that because we had just about everybody there had either lost a a spouse or a child in that particular retreat. And and it's non-death losses too, by the way, like divorce and abuse and abandonment. We have all of that. And uh, she, she spoke of, she was so sweet. She said, I'll tell you one thing. I resent my daughter killing herself. And, uh, and see, she felt safe to say that. And then she's because it's the truth. That's the way she felt. And, and then she said this. She said, if I died tonight and I went to the pearly gates and my daughter was there and she came out to greet me. And by the way, I believe she's in heaven, she said. And I believe she will greet me. But when she greets me, I would and want to hug me. I would say, hold on, sister. I'm not hugging you just yet. Why the heck did you kill yourself and do this to your dad and me and your brother? <laughs> I thought that was such yeah. a great response. Yeah. Now, let's face it. If there's really pearly gates, whatever that is, and you go to heaven and that daughter comes out to meet her, the mama's going to hug her. But she was sharing what she felt. She was hacked. She was angry that her daughter did this. And Obviously, she loved her daughter that, you know, we get angry at people we love deeply. Right. But you, those are if she hadn't have done that, that would have been an incomplete that stayed with her. Yeah. And that and, and then, you know, how it is you stuff those emotions deep down, they will come out. And sometimes they come out when you yell at your spouse or you yell at your other kids or you you mess up friendships or you get you know what I mean? That they'll come out eventually. And nobody knows where that came from. And you deal with this in your practice, I am sure. Oh, all the time. Yeah. People will pop or they'll be like, I'm fighting with my wife about X, Y, and Z. Or it could be a situation like you talked about, right? Like an incomplete or a loss a long time ago that they've been bearing for a long time. 
and people get caught in the moment and they often are unable to take that step back and look at the complete picture and be like, okay, what's really going on for me? It's so fascinating. You know, I don't know if we can get to the why or the mechanism, but I see it in, in my job. I see it, you know, in the work that you do. I think about um, like confessional, even this oh. idea of like putting things into words, like just naming it that even though you might know it's true in your head, but there is something about verbalizing it and making it real. And I know, you know, when I was a client in my own therapy and I facilitate now with with my clients and you probably see in your retreats too, when people speak something and it's just so unbelievably true, right? Having that moment where it's almost like you're hearing yourself talk. It's almost like someone else is talking, but it's your voice and it's your memories and and it's coming out of you that is just magical almost. I mean, it's very powerful. And if you have a group setting and, and see, they have to share all this with their partners in their smaller group. And the partners cannot say a word to them. They have to listen and they cannot fix. They cannot give advice. They cannot do that. So when somebody gives voice to their pain and another human being accepts it as it is without trying to fix or give advice, it validates the person. Maybe there's not something so wrong with me. Maybe I'm grieving and I have the power to get up and move forward and live forward with hope and joy again. And I really think that's one of the keys to the whole thing. Yeah. I think there's something not wrong with you. It's really critical. Mm-hmm. You know, as we go into our break, I want to just leave the listeners with something, which I think I'd be curious your thoughts on when we get back, but it's this conflation, I think between physical pain and emotional pain, right? When there's physical pain, it does mean that there's something wrong, right? There's an injury or there's a sickness or there's something physically wrong, but emotional pain is a lot more complicated. Yeah. So something can feel bad, but really have some of these beautiful messages that you've been talking about that comes from grief, right? Showing you how much you love and care about something. Doesn't mean that something is broken or, or wrong with you in the same way that, you know, if you broke your leg, it did, you know? Yeah. So we're going to head into our commercial break. Um, on the other side, if you've been listening and you, um, can relate with some of this if you are grieving yourself or interested in in these retreats we'll spend some time in our next segment um, talking about what you can take away from you with from this podcast um, what would be helpful Um, so stay tuned and we'll end it with some you know uh, practical tools to help you move forward Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark 
teachable.com. That's Mark, M-A-R-C, dash Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. So I'm reflecting as I'm going through this episode with you, David, about how universal and how powerful grief is. You know, my practice isn't centered around grief, but of course it comes up because it's a very human emotion. And in the groups, when someone starts sharing about a loss, whether it be a death or, like I said, a loss of a childhood or or abuse or, you know, neglect or whatever it is, you can feel the energy in the room get a lot deeper and people feel almost compelled to start talking. And saying like, oh, yeah, I also lost X, Y, and Z, or, you know, this reminds me of something. So I'd imagine, you know, as we're having this conversation, people are listening to you speak, there may be listeners that are feeling some of that, that are feeling their losses, that are feeling their griefs, that are connecting some of the dots. And I'd be curious from your perspective, from your expertise and experience, what you would like that person to hear right now, what you think the, the takeaway message should be. The takeaway message is that you have the power within yourself to grieve deeply, to feel helpless and hopeless, like there's no way out and you'll never be happy again. You have the power to grieve deeply and then recover, defining recovery in a way that's real. In other words, life will never be the same again. Any attempt to go back to life the way it was will be met with frustration and failure because I cannot bring that person back if it's a death loss. It could be a marriage loss. It could be, you know, so many things. I can't undo the past, but I do not have to let my past, including all my losses, and those losses could be the way people treated you in school, the the way uh, an uncle treated you or an abusive situation. My past does not have to define me. My past can propel me. And and I'll steal this uh, quote. You might have heard it. It's never too late to have a happy childhood I don't know if you've ever heard that quote. I don't, do not know where it came from. I heard a speaker say it one time. It enthralled me because we all have things in our childhood that have hurt us, but it's never too late. And to me, it means no matter what's happened from yesterday on or even today to back to my beginning, no matter what's happened, I do not have to let it defeat me. I have the power within myself with good help for people to walk alongside me to arise out of those ashes and to really get to the point where I'm living productively with joy and with meaning again. I think there's two things. We have a kind of a, a five, not, it's not five steps because we don't like a step approach at all, but we do like building blocks. And one of the building blocks is forgiveness, yeah. uh, forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others because our past haunts us sometimes I should have checked on the baby. I should have made sure they had a better car. I, I shouldn't, you know, all the what ifs. I wish I'd have done this different or better. All those things haunt us. And so there, And so one of the building blocks we have is, is permission and it's completeness. And we've talked about permission to grieve, also permission to recover. And both those things come like this together. 
So we have, we talk about embracing grief, empowering self, and igniting a new relationship with grief. So we want to ignite a new relationship with grief. We don't want to deny grief. We want to respect it, embrace it by accepting it that I'm going to feel bad. And I might have a grief moment next week from a loss 20 years ago. I had one the other day from a loss of Josiah when he was, uh, that was in 2007. And I, my, I cried, I cried and it just came yeah, out of nowhere. can come up with no warning. It, yeah. No warnings. And yeah. sometimes no, no connection with what's happening in my present. But I can't let the past define me. I have the power within myself uh, to rise up and, and then to move forward with hope. But I also need a specific plan. Specific plans are vital. And you know this in your therapy. If you just give the idea to your clients <laughs> and they don't know where to go, they don't know what to do. The ones, grievers, we, we, they know grief is tough. They know that they've had horrific losses they don't know what to do with it. And so we give them a specific plan in our grief courses online, our grief coaching we have. We have the greatest coaches in the world, the greatest, and I'm not one of them. I mean, I, I do coaching, <laughs> but the others are much greater Yeah, because uh, I've all been there. They all are people that, that work on the Spark team have horrific losses in their lives, and they're living forward. They still grieve. They still have bad days and bad moments, maybe even a bad week or a season. That's okay. That's part of, the, that's part of it. But they are living forward, and they have hope and meaning. And so the last two building blocks we talk about is gratitude and meaning. Gratitude. Uh, don't tell me if I've experienced a loss. Well, at least you have other children if I've lost a child. Don't tell me that, right? But eventually, as I rise up and I live forward, I, all my focus is not on who I lost. I also recognize who I still have. Uh, and many times grievers are so focused on who or what they lost, it consumes them. And for a while, that's okay because that's called grief. But, at, but we can't stay there. So, so those who are, have had horrific loss, and it's, it's going to hit all of us. It, it really is going to hit all of us. Uh, We've got to start focusing, too, on what we have. And so what we do on Sunday, they have to write down one thing they're thankful for. We give them a gratitude journal, and they have to write down one thing they're thankful for and one positive experience from the last 24 hours, and then one person they're going to encourage. And there goes the power of group. That, that's the power. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a lady came to our third retreat, son came home from church, shot himself, killed himself in the garage while she's cooking Sunday dinner. He died in his father's arms. She comes on Oof. Thursday night. I thought she was going to disintegrate before my eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. really did. Horrific. We had five suicides that retreat. Five. Yeah. We had three suicides of kids, one of a sister, and then one of a husband. And we had another lady there that had been uh, had a happy marriage for 40-something years. Her husband was in his 80s. He died a, a peaceful death. Marriage. And she said, I don't need to be here. Well, she happened to be paired with the woman who lost the 18-year-old to suicide. You think, why did you pair those together? We didn't do it on purpose, but they were paired together in a small group. And guess what happened by Sunday? The lady who lost a son to suicide was comforting the lady who had lost a husband that we would call a good death or a natural death. And she had a smile on her face. And her husband looked at me and mouthed these words when, she, when his wife, her name was Tony, who was comforting Linda and smiling on Sunday, and her husband mouths to me, who, 
who is this lady that he was married to? And and then he said something we've heard often. I got my spouse back. I got my wife back. What happened in three days? Somebody, a group of people cared for her and came beside her, gave her a plan, called them to action, right? And, And the action was complete your incompletes. Here's the method to do it. And, and then cultivate gratitude for what you do have while mourning what you've lost. It's a good balance, right? It keeps us grounded. And, and so she, she, every element came together in her. Does she still cry today? That was about 12 years ago. Does she still cry today? I'm sure she has moments of tears, but I know she's living forward with hope and with, with, with meaning. And then that, that fifth building block is purpose. What am I going to do with the crap in my life? And it, it's not, what am I going to do with the talents and gifts that I've been given? Uh, and what do we get up in the morning for? If it's just money that gets old after a while. Do you know people with money that are, are kind of wondering out there, wondering what to do? A lot of them. Yeah. Well, I, so, and, and, and people, I'm not against money, right? Uh, and, in fact, people with money have kept Spark of Life going. Because we're determined not to turn anybody away, you know, who don't have the doesn't have the money. We don't want to turn a soul away, and so that's always a battle. But listen, I've got to have a purpose to get up in the morning. So what happens in group is I start to care for somebody in my small group and somebody in the big group, and you spend three and a half days together and you start to care. Now you have community, as you mentioned earlier. So I really think people have to have a plan. They they've got to have a plan. Grievers have a hard time concentrating. That's one of the common responses to grief. I have a hard time concentrating with no grief. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I do. But you throw in grief. One lady, after she buried her, her son, she had to go back to work on Monday. She went out to a busy street where a car was parked. She didn't have any top on on the first day back to work. Oh, for sure. Yeah, right? It's like she it's so disorienting. Just forget everything. Yeah. She yeah. did have two bras on, she told us. Yeah. <laughs> Another one that took her remote control, uh, I mean, her, her car keys and went to work in big office building. And she goes to the elevator and starts doing this with her car keys, trying to get the elevator to come. And then she got all mad, was throwing a fit and all these people saying, what is wrong with this lady? Yeah. But, you know, they have a hard time. So you got to have a plan. And, and so at Spark of Life, you know, sparkoflife.org is our website. And that's why we want to offer people. Everybody can't come to an in-person retreat. But our virtual retreats are just as powerful. And there's community. Everything happens there except we don't get fed by a chef. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we have a great chef at our in-person retreats. It's my son-in-law, and he's a great, great chef. And we give good food and all that. But the virtual retreats are, are powerful because everybody doesn't want to travel and, 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 and be in the same house with strangers, right? So then you have online coaching, and then we have a, a course that somebody can take with all the principles we've talked about today with the plan of action. Uh, the online course, they, they go after just by themselves with the coach, with somebody that can guide them through that. Uh, but there's something for if you want help, go to sparkoflife.org. But I'm convinced we, and in your practice, you know what we're saying is true. People need a plan. They, they need some guidance or they wouldn't be coming to you. What can I do this week? And so we always say the old trite expression, do the next right thing, right? And just do the next right thing. And 
you cannot get from here to the moon today. But I can, you know, we say on Thursday night at our retreats, if your hope level is a zero right now and it's right here, and on Sunday afternoon, if it's right there, if it's plus 0.5, that's a great weekend. Right. That's a step forward. That's a step forward. And people need to believe that. And uh, so we do work on changing your brain box. And so we get rid of the myths of grief, the, the myths that, uh, you know, it takes, it takes three years to get over this loss. You never get over this. Those are all myths. Who says? Who says all that? So it's your grief. It's your recovery. It's your plan. And so we empower people to believe that. And then we give them a plan. And of course, they have to adapt it to their life. But here are the things you can do. And, and so neat to see that it goes on for years afterwards. It, it doesn't just end. So we had our, our first grief uh, reunion, a Spark of Life reunion. We went on a cruise. We had 30 former participants go on a cruise. And it was their idea. And one of those, just two years ago, right before COVID, and we had people from the fifth retreat, the 18th retreat, the 50th retreat. We've done 100. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And we ask, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that you held on to? And, and the number one answer was, we knew that we're okay. There's nothing, quote, with us. And you, you told us that if you have a bad week next year, next week, a terrible week after you get home from the retreat and you're sky high, you have hope, and then you crash, it's, it's okay. It's part of the process. It does not mean you've taken, you go back to the beginning. You feel like it. Just give yourself permission to grieve and then give yourself permission to wash your face, get up and live again and live again. So I really think when people are heard, when people can be themselves, they're accepted, they get over this thing of there's something really wrong with me, they're grieving, and then you give them a plan and you help them have that, accomplish that plan and you teach them then when they go home, they can work on other losses and they're confident and they have that community they can call. Yeah. I think it's really powerful what you and your wife provide. It seems like it's just a really comprehensive program where there's many ways, many points of entry, right. For what people's bandwidth is, what their, you know, financial situation is like, how much time they can give to it. Yeah. It's yeah. really great that it really sounds like it's a wraparound program. I love and wraparound concept. Yeah. Right. And and the way that you talk about something that I say a lot to my clients, which is, you know, the only way to get over something is to go through it. Yes. Right. Which is true, I think, for a lot of people where we're taught, just like you were saying, to bury it, to put on a happy face, to pretend like it's not happening, to take your four days of bereavement leave and call it good. But the only way to do it is to really feel it. And which I think you really did a great job of highlighting is in witness with other people. Yeah. Right. To have those feelings witnessed by other people. Whether that be, you know, the animal nature of us living in tribes or communities, you know, being a mammal, like having it witnessed with somebody else seems to be very, very powerful. So as we're wrapping up here, I'd be curious if you can say one last time where people can find you, um, email address, website, social media, anything like that. If people are interested and they want to learn more about Spark of Life. Yeah, sparkoflife.org.org. That's the, and then you'll find everything there. My email is david at sparkoflife.org. David at sparkoflife.org. I've got two people I've got to call today. You know, horrific losses. They, they found us and, and they contacted us. And uh, so sparkoflife.org, we got coaching. We got a team of about 12 coaches and, and their stories, 
you know, we've got a couple working with us that's lost three kids. We have another couple that lost a, a child to murder. Uh, we've got a, other couples that lost a child to drugs, you know, over and over again. But sparkoflife.org, we're here to walk beside you. Mark, thank you. We don't have all the answers. We don't. But I know that there's hope out there no matter what your losses are. Right. I don't think the why is that important, right? I think what this podcast highlighted to me, finding the answer isn't super important, but having somebody with you along the way is what can heal and what can be effective. So thank you so much for being on the show. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again. If you feel like this uh, connects to you or anyone that you know, please send it, share it on social media, send it to somebody, email this podcast, somebody, somebody might really be needing some of these messages that we're putting out there. So thank you so much. And we will see you next week on From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet Triumph and Defeat and treat those two imposters the same.